Hi and welcome to another edition of Seek Sustainable Japan podcast. Thanks so much for joining.、Uh, in this episode, I'm doing a monthly sub series with my partner on another side of Japan, Tova Kinoka. She's a sustainability focused consultant. Are working with corporations and businesses to improve their sustainability mindset and training and standards, and we always have great conversations. In this one,、uh, we're talking about inspiring autumn sustainability strategies from Japan,、uh, putting strategies into action to balance the needs of people, planet, which is the ongoing aim for many of us, of course, around the world. And there's so many positive examples、uh, from Japan, and this episode is no different.、Uh, this month, in this episode,、uh, Tova shares about going to Kamikatsu, the zero waste town, on a training program that her business is developing with、uh, some entrepreneurs, but also corporate. Uh, people who are interested in applying some of the models of zero waste at work in Kamikatsu into their business model. So that was really exciting.、Um, but there's lots of other great examples and、uh, strategies that we talk about in this episode. So I hope you enjoy it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. And if you have any questions or comments, please reach out. You can find me、uh, at JJ Walsh. On Twitter and other social media, or Inbound Ambassador on Instagram, Facebook, and I'm also on LinkedIn. I will put all the links in the show notes below about what we talk about, but also how to get in touch. It's outside Tokyo. And it is the end of November, and you're probably seeing in your supermarkets. It is height mikan time. It's a wonderful time to go and buy your oranges. And we are coming into height lemon time. So, lemon is really famous in winter as well.、Um, so, great way to get your vitamin C, but also a great way to support Japan's local farmers, right? <laughs> Especially in our area of Setsu, where they have so many citrus farmers. Are you enjoying your, your mikans right now? Mikans Wait, and.、Oh, Yep, mikans definitely every day. And last week I tried for the first time、um, a, a different citrus fruit called yuko,、oh. um, which is a cross between、um, sudachi, the Japanese lime, and yuzu, the, another、Ooh. Japanese citrus.、Um, so it's very small, round,、um, kind of yellow with a hint of green. And oh my God, it's so good. So yeah. yeah, I was really enjoying sort of lots of Yuko drinks and dishes and things last week. So yeah, fantastic. Because you were in Shikoku, which is famous for different kinds of citrus as well. Did you find、uh, the local tea, the fermented tea, the bunch? Yes. Yes, the bancha, also drinking that every day. So, yeah, I've been trying lo- lots of new things. Food and drink. Fantastic.、Mm-hmm. And of course, if you're suffering like me from a bit of a cold, having citrus and a bit of honey and a hot drink definitely helps a lot.、Yeah. <laughs> I hope everyone out there is taking care of yourself as well. It's getting colder around the world.、Uh, we had a very long summer. Even the beginning of November was quite warm. Mm. Unusually so.、Uh, so, we haven't really had that many autumn colors, but、uh, one of the things I'll be talking about later is 
uh, wow. sustainable tourism strategies. And mm -hmm. one of the really nice ones that just started happening in Hiroshima was the autumn light up events. So opening your facility longer is a great way to uh, spread out the crowds throughout the day. And uh, so this is in Shukayan Garden in Hiroshima. Isn't it beautiful? That is gorgeous. Wow. wow, wow, wow. And so you have all these amazing reflections happening in the pond in the middle um, as you walk around. And of mm -hmm. course, it's, it's better for the economics as well of the city and of the facility because you can get more income if you also spread it out. Of course, you have to pay for staff, uh, which is one of the hurdles, I imagine, uh, mm -hmm. for opening longer hours. But um, in our city center at the museum, we've had such long lines for the Peace Memorial Museum. Um, this is one of the strategies they're considering also is opening longer hours. And I know all around Japan, uh, it's a great standard strategy to try to reduce crowds and mm -hmm. enhance the experience. And then you can also get more income as well. Yeah, yeah, that sounds yeah. good. So let's talk about your visit to Kamikatsu. That is a really big deal. Uh, it was a sustainability mindset and entrepreneurship program. Tell us about it, Tova. Yeah, so this is something uh, we were excited to finally be there. We were supposed to be there in July, but then a typhoon um, got in the way, unfortunately, so we had to reschedule. Um, so we went to um, Kamikatsu, the kind of famous for being the zero waste town um, in Shikoku. And uh, as you can see there, we were with a group of um, eight participants from a client and we were piloting um, this program. And so before we went, we did a, a one day workshop with the participants on sort of looking at the basics of sustainability, um, understanding their company's kind of impact relationship uh, with people and planet, um, positive and negative impacts. And then we went for uh, three days, three full days um, at Kamikatsu. And as you can see, we did all kinds of activities from everything, learning about composting, 45 different types of um, rubbish sorting there. So, you know, four or five different categories for paper and many different plastics. This was the, the Sodai Gomi challenge, the, the kind of big, big, rubbish garbage challenge they were working in teams and each team had a um a pile of uh sort of the kind of stuff you can't just throw away easily like you can see their chairs and the suitcase and things like this um so the idea was that um each team had to first of all look at it and kind of understand well or try and guess what, what kind of materials do they think this is made for, uh, from what could be recycled, what couldn't. And then they had um, a limited amount of time to actually just dismantle these things into its um, separate uh, materials. And then to look at once they'd separated everything, um, what could be recycled and how and um, in what category and so on. And it was so enlightening. I mean, it was really good fun. You can see people like right. tearing apart hot carpets with the wire that goes right through and chairs. Just look at the, you know, the foam yeah. and stuff coming out of those and all these um, things that were sort of bonded together. We found a, a suitcase was probably the biggest nightmare. Um, because the, the materials were sort of different types of materials, very closely bonded together, which couldn't be separated, therefore couldn't be recycled. Um, very difficult to take apart in the first place to separate anything out at all. Um, so that was one that, of the big, yeah. the big things that stood, stood out to me whenever I go mm. is how are we making these products which have mixed materials? 
Yes. And nobody who's designing that product is thinking about the end stage. Mm -hmm. How is that going to be dealt with as garbage, right? Exactly. And it just seems so crazy that we're creating these products that we have no idea how to deal with at no. the end stage, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, that that was really enlightening. Um, so that's sort of on the environmental side. But also, I think what's really interesting in the whole kamikatsu area is um, looking at the sort of intersection of environmental and social sustainability issues. Um, so we were also going around, like here was a panel discussion in the evening at a, a local sake brewery, but with... Um, local people who one had lived there all her life one had lived grown up there moved away come back somebody else had moved in more recently and they're all living and working there so sort of hearing from them you know how, what is their experience of living in this area that's you know struggling really economically um it's a beautiful area but it's a tough place to to make a living and particularly if you've got young families and things um you know not many options transportation school wise you know all this kind of thing that was uh, sort of going up we had breakfast out there in the morning in the rice fields with rice grown just below um and cooked over a, a fire sort of as it would have been done many years ago there and again sort of talking to the farmer there and hearing about his struggles sort of you know maintaining the the grounds and the um the the buildings and things like this so it, we had a chance to sort of hear a lot of different perspectives to talk to a lot of locals um and then next week we get together for the um the after workshop with the participants to to look at how do we bring those learnings into the business to actually look at what they're doing and think about how we can do that differently and better so. Yeah, that's fantastic. And it's great to see you had the composting. Uh, so this facility, you can see behind all the building itself is designed with reused materials from other buildings which were destroyed or not in use anymore. The whole yeah. hotel is designed like that. Uh, the Rise and Wind Brewery is designed like that. It's one of the really unique, key, appealing, stylish features of Kamikatsu as well. Um, yeah. But every guest at the hotel also composts all of their organic waste. Mm -hmm. And the whole town 100% composts all their organic waste, which is one of the only places in Japan that does that. And yeah. Um, it's an easy way to immediately reduce your waste by 30%. And yeah. why aren't we doing this more in Japan? It's, there's so much key, like structural or foundational knowledge in action and kamikatsu, so many great takeaways there. Yeah. So I'm so glad you were able to go there. <laughs> Finally got to go there. So hopefully this will be the first of many sort of iterations of this program and uh, we're looking forward to, to going again. Um, so yeah, great experience. Yeah, really recommend it to anyone to go there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and uh, the staff at Hotel Y also do that uh, tour of the waste facility yes. if you sign up and that that is open to the public if you make a reservation yep. even if you don't stay there you can make a reservation to do that and to learn about like you said the 45 categories that mm -hmm. they separate into um kamikatsu i believe at the moment is still at 70 percent diversion from landfill or incinerator which yeah. is amazing Mm -hmm. Because most of Japan is maybe 20, 30% yeah. diversion yeah. from landfill. So most of our waste is incinerated or landfilled. Uh, yeah. And Kamikatsu is really a standout 
place to it is yeah and it was great because when we were there with our client um we saw several other groups coming around that were from local governments elsewhere in japan um coming to learn about what the the area is doing there and how they're dealing with things so um it was really interesting for you know to to see that happening as well how they're using this as a an education tool um not only for for companies and individuals but also for for local governments and has been for a long time. Um, it's been going on since, you know, 20 years now yeah. uh, that they had the incentive to make change because they had no money. And I think a lot of small towns are suffering with the same problems. Mm -hmm. They don't have money for landfill. They don't have money for an incinerator. It costs too much to send it to yeah. the next city. So how are they going to deal with it on a local level? It started yeah. from need, but also with so much creativity, right? Yes. Because it, it takes a different mindset mm. to start creating that new type of infrastructure, right? Exactly. And that's that's why I think, you know, we're calling it sort of sustainability intrapreneurship, um, the, the sort of program we're doing there, because really the idea is they see this mindset in action, they hear the stories from the locals, like, well, how did you even come up with this idea to, to do this this project or that project? Um, and you know, when they can see that in action and, and the positive impact that it has, they can then take that back into their own organizations and think about, well, you know, if we're working in a big corporate, we've got all these resources, how do we leverage that to actually have a positive impact um, from whatever function you're in in the organization? Um, and I've just seen a comment here in the the about sort of um, product and packaging life cycles needing to be uh, sort of read, regulated by governments. Absolutely agree with that. I think you know the trouble is at the moment there are so many different types of plastics of fabrics of you know adhesives of, of metals all all mixed together um and it does make it very very difficult to do anything um but you know it's expensive for one company to stick their neck out and say well we're doing something different that's a risk for them so if the government could level the playing field with you know through regulations and then you know drive drive the change that way it would make a, a huge difference i think yeah, absolutely. And great comment there from Z-san from Hawaii. Thanks so much for joining. I had the chance to uh, guide Z around uh, when he visited Japan and we went around Onomichi. And oh, it, it takes me into my next topic, mm -hmm. uh, which is trying to develop off the beaten track. Uh, Hiroshima is not just Peace Park and Miyajima. Surprise, mm. surprise. Uh, we have a lot of places outside the, the top destinations, which are definitely worth going and exploring. Um, so I have some examples from Kude, how I've seen some sustainable strategies at work there. Um, but Z was, was a great person to take around Onomichi because he's already got that sustainability mindset coming mm -hmm. from Hawaii. And yeah. I see so many international visitors, they already are thinking on a different level when they come to Japan. And I think that is helping us hopefully push <laughs> Uh, in a positive direction to have a more sustainable mindset. Uh, definitely businesses, hotels, restaurants, they're starting to get it because of the inbound market. They expect less mm -hmm. plastic. They expect uh, more locally made products, reusables, those kinds of things. It's really interesting. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's it's good. I mean, there's a lot of learning to be had in both directions, I think. Um, I, I think there's often a, an assumption that perhaps maybe people coming out of Europe, for example, might be more um, sustainably aware. And I think in some sort of areas, absolutely, yes, that's the case. Um, but in others, we see that that's quite surface and there's still often a disconnect. They might be very good on one particular area, but then when you're looking at the whole big picture, you know, and, and how sort of what, what the knock-on effects are, um, then there's often not as much understanding as you think. So still a lot of work to do and, and learnings to be had in all kinds of places, I think. Yeah, absolutely. A cake marathon, nice uh, of you to join us. And she says, or he, or say that they would love to go on a kamikatsu tour with either of us, Tova. Maybe that's, <laughs> Fantastic. Maybe that's an opportunity for us to develop a tour to kamikatsu. I'd love to. Yeah. <laughs> Any excuse. I often think about that. What a great place. Uh, so let me take you through some of the, the photos from the Kure tour. Mm. Of course, uh, Kure is uh, very famous as a Navy town. Um, it's only an hour from Hiroshima and it has a lot of um, museums and museums, uh, Navy focused uh, cafes, restaurants, that kinds of thing. So here's the mascot for the Yamato Museum a cute girl mascot, uh, but this takes me to one of the issues that I've noticed on a bunch of the tourism mm -hmm. monitor tours and consulting that I've done is they have uh, information in the Yamato Museum about uh, the female students and their, their experiences as they were recruited by the military. Um, mm -hmm. Here they talk about female students and their diaries that they wrote, um, but so often, uh, I've really noticed a glaring uh, absence of stories of women with names huh. in museums as I, I go around Japan recently. Yeah. And so I, I often ask the curators, uh, you're talking about like a 500 year span of Japanese history, hmm. but there are zero stories about women here. What were the women doing? Were there no women? Were there no mothers or sisters or daughters or anyone? And uh, I had some very flippant replies from really? the saying, oh, they were just courtesans. Wow. Or they were just housewives. And I said, well, that's still fascinating and interesting. And they were still very um, a part of culture and yeah. community and building what we know of as modern Japan. So mm -hmm. we still want to have their stories. I was, it was really shocking to have yeah. that response that they didn't do anything important. And wow. that was, you know, so it was nice to see that they're representing mm -hmm. uh, the stories of women at the Kude Yamato Museum, but still we don't see the names of the women. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, Often you'll go around your city, you'll mm. see statues of important men with names. Uh, you'll often see beautiful statues of women. They don't have names. Interesting, um, yeah. So just starting to think about and starting to document the mm. names of women and the contributions of women throughout history is really important. Um, yeah. And so as a guide and someone working in tourism, I really feel like it's kind of our job to keep adding the names of women, adding the stories of women with yeah. names um, and how they contributed to the history mm -hmm. 
that we're talking about, right? Absolutely, absolutely. This is half the population globally. This is not a minority we're talking about here. Really, is... sure, there were women around. There were know? definitely women around <laughs> and involved. I'm very sure of it. And then uh, a small point, fabulous to see water fountains. Yay. Uh, <laughs> let's, let's start having water fountains maybe <clears throat> where you can refill your water bottle easier. Uh, not just the ones that you drink from. Yeah, exactly. Check out my Mizu. Uh, one thing I was uh, happy to see is you notice something about this drinks container? Ah, no plastic? No plastic. So it's made from cans and glass uh -huh. and the laminate. The laminate bottles are really special. Um, they collect the laminate bottles separately. Can you yeah. guess why? Because the tops... A plastic, right? So then what what do they do with those? Well, it's mixed material, so that's that's a problem, but mm -hmm. uh, they're collected separately because they're reused. Huh. They're washed and reused. Oh, that's uh, good. It's made by a local company. So yeah. that's much better. If we can reuse containers, that's what you have there, Tova, your own water bottle to reuse. Yeah. And reuse. That's the best. That's significantly less energy, water, etc. Right? But just under that is reusing the containers from the company. Mm -hmm. And that's the next high standard. And yeah. then would be glass and aluminums that we can actually recycle paper. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then we just don't want to be using plastic anymore because even if you recycle plastic, it can be only only be recycled one time, right? So mm -hmm. we want materials we can keep recycling if we're going to use uh, materials we recycle at all. Reusable would be best, right? <laughs> yes. Um, but some of the cute candies are in metal containers. That was nice to see. Mm -hmm. um, as you're walking around the museum, I, I often think about this because so many students are, are going to museums like this. They're using coal in the old uh, ships. Hmm. But isn't this an opportunity to talk about they use coal and now in our future... Uh, ships, we're going to mm -hmm. use electricity, we're going to use hydrogen, like yeah. it's an opportunity to talk about clean energy, right? Mm -hmm. Very much so, very much so, yeah. It'd be nice to see. And uh, here's an example of a board where you see, you know, the, lots of names of men, um, but we don't see boards of uh, yeah. women mm. there, right? Men yeah. are important, they have names. Uh, we want women with names too, please. Uh, this was interesting, uh, connecting to local industry. So a lot of the shipbuilders in Kude, after the war, they started working for Mazda and making Mazda cars, which is a really important uh, local industry. So that was mm -hmm. nice to see. And there must have been women working there, too. So I'm sure there hear, were. <laughs> I want to hear about that. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone has any stories, please share. Now, on, on the main street, it was nice to see some kind of innovation at work. So this is a local bakery. And they don't want to stay open 24-7 because of the, the labor crunch, I'm sure. And they want to have a life. So what have they done? They have a little vending machine next to their bakery. Huh. And so this, I think, reduces food waste as well. Mm. Because anything not sold in the bakery during opening hours, they can sell in the, in the vending machine here anytime. So that vending machine huh. is open 24-7. And what a great nice cool innovation right so yeah. i'm really happy to see that that's really interesting and it could be applied to so many other kinds of 
sort of products as well that are sort of getting towards end of shelf life would otherwise be waste. That's that's good Absolutely. to see. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, Tovi, you recently did a talk for HR. Now, how does HR and sustainability, how does that connect? Well, that was the big question. And it was quite funny because it was this sort of three day uh, global HR conference in Tokyo, um, sort of in collaboration with SHAM, the Strategic Human Resource Management Institute globally. Um, so there were lots of fantastic um, presentations on DEI on um, sort of HR, global strategy and all this thing. And, and then I was standing up talking about sustainability and you could see people thinking, exactly, why are we talking about sustainability at an HR conference? Um, and it was a very short sort of time span I had to talk about it. Um, but really, um, for us, HR are absolutely key to getting sustainability moving in an organization, bridging the gap, like the second point says there, between people and processes. Because um, I think I've probably mentioned every time we speak almost that, um, you know, a company spend a lot of time, effort, money, etc., looking at the the process side of sustainability, setting the strategy and goals around that, measuring, you know, looking at, you know, how do they um, report and all of this, which is absolutely essential, very, very important. However, if people outside the sustainability team don't understand why are we doing this? What are we doing anyway? Um, how does my part of the combination, you know, the, the, um, company contribute to this, then things don't move forward. So uh, this point I always bring up that sort of makes people sort of stop and think is the fact that if you reverse the kanji for company and society, it's the same kanji reversed, right? So shakai and kaisha. Um, so really, we need to be thinking about the people side of sustainability. And so we were talking about that and, and sort of very briefly, what is HR's role in supporting the implementation of the sustainability strategy of helping people throughout the organization understand how it connects to what they do to making sure that people are getting training they're getting um you know the information they need um they're being involved in the conversations um when strategy and processes have been you know changed or created and so you know if we HR are the people that drive this, right? HR is the function that drives this. Um, and when we're looking at sustainability, it really is a, a massive organizational change initiative, really, to move from you know business as was, as usual, into embedding sustainability. It, it's a huge change initiative, and that needs to be driven very much um, on the ground by HR. So that was the sort of start of the conversation and then in uh we're still setting the date but hopefully early march we're going to be collaborating with one of the major japanese banks um to do uh, an open um workshop on sustainability for hr professionals so getting the hr people in the room with the sustainability leaders and saying you guys need to talk <laughs> let's yeah. let's look at what are the questions you have what are the struggles and challenges you have and let's look at how we we move that forward so yeah, yeah. absolutely well, i think if you look at that. like you've worked with hotels as well tova mm -hmm. and i think if you look at hr at hotels especially international hotel chains they are so connected to sustainability yeah, very much and they often say our staff are our biggest strategy mm. to developing a sustainable 
sustainability mindset and exactly. to stop food waste, stop water waste, stop energy waste, to develop new ideas, new strategies, not only to really please the customers, but to have happier workers. Yeah. Yeah. As well as to reduce our environmental impact. So mm -hmm. this is what we're always talking about, right? How do you balance the needs of people and planet with profits? And definitely HR is such a key role to that. Very much, very much. So yeah, I'm really excited to, to you know, see where we go with this topic and to get more people into the conversation. So yeah, we'll keep you posted. Yeah, fantastic. Um, I had some guests recently and they were Hungarian hoteliers. Ooh. So they work really hard during the summer, like crazy. They said 24 hours a day for like six months. And then they take six months off for the rest of the year and they travel around the world. Uh, so it was a pleasure showing them around Hiroshima. But also I had so many insights from them about their point of view about Japanese hospitality huh. and they were purposefully choosing um, non-international hotels to stay at because they wanted to see what traditional Japanese hospitality is like yeah. mm -hmm. and it's sad to say they were disappointed um, yeah. that they didn't see what they uh, think of as high quality hospitality is flexibility Huh. And they didn't see that. Mm -hmm. They didn't see that personalized catering to the customer right. in the places they were staying. And the this is something I hear. Yeah, yeah, this is yeah. something I hear a lot uh, from international visitors. And I think the international hotel chains are more aware of this need for flexibility. This is definitely a struggle. Uh, for Japanese businesses, especially traditional ones. Mm -hmm. um, I'll give you an example from my recent monitor tour. We go to a traditional Japanese hotel, looks lovely. We walk into the lobby and the staff greet us and say, oh, we're gonna do the bath. We have a shared bath. Uh, we're gonna do it traditional Japanese style. So all the men are gonna go first. Hmm. And this is to a mixed group of international people? No, sorry, mm -hmm. that's not gonna work for us, you know, but that idea that we have a technique, uh, we've always done it this way, mm -hmm. it's perfect, we don't need to change. I think even for Japanese customers, I don't think that's acceptable now mm -hmm. to have those kind of old style, you know, and then add the fact that you have vegan vegetarians in the group and they couldn't serve a meal to us. Yeah. They just couldn't think of a way, even mm -hmm. though they had hot pot, it was mostly veg vegetables, a little bit of meat. They could have easily offered us one without the meat. Mm. You know, there's just that, the, the ability to think, how can we adapt and cater hospitality to what these yeah. unusual customers, and are we unusual? You know, everybody has different needs or things, yeah. you know? But that's but, interesting, because I mean, particularly on the food front, I remember my, my first year, in, well, probably about a month or so after I arrived in Japan, because I arrived in November 1998, so a very long time ago. Um, and my first sort of Christmas and New Year here, I went with one of my Japanese colleagues to stay with her family in Kyoto. Um, and her father took us out for a meal one day at this um, beautiful restaurant uh, beside one of the temples. Um, and it was all vegan and it was beautiful Japanese food that was 100% vegan. It was um, sort of seven herbs, tofu, nabe and things like this. So the the knowledge is here, that the customs, I mean, it was us 
foreigners that bought the meat in, to be honest. Um, unfortunately, I'm very embarrassed about that. Um, but, uh, but you know, the, this knowledge is here. So a lot of it's about sort of rediscovering the, the wonderful stuff that was here and still is in little pockets here and there. Um, if you can highlight that. But, but I mean, Tova, what you were saying about the HR conference too, the knowledge is definitely there oh, yeah. as well for how sustainability Absolutely. is connected to community, who's connected to your success as a business. This is sample Yoshi. These are classic exactly. traditional ideas for Japanese business, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of re reconnecting to that, I think. Um, a lot of it's there, but maybe buried um, under many layers of bureaucracy and, and um, hitting KPIs and all of this stuff. So if we can dig it out again, I think um, there's a lot to be proud of and a lot of good stuff happening. Absolutely. Well, that is our 30 minutes. Thanks again, Tova. That was a great discussion. Thank you so much, everyone. Z and Cake Marathon, you guys had great comments and questions today. I really appreciated you being here from YouTube. And uh, if you're watching this on replay and you have any questions or comments, make sure to add them below. And don't forget to like and subscribe. I'm told I do not say that enough. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Got it in. <laughs> I got it in. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Have a great day. And we'll see you next month. Brilliant. Thank you. <laughs>